Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Again, I'm delighted uh, to be here. I don't always know all your names, but uh, Will and I have enough conversations to know what's going on. And, and <clears throat> we have regular conversations about building infrastructure and, you know, how to create momentum in the ministry and just a lot of practical things. In fact, our church is helping to <clears throat> develop a how to help small churches grow. Uh, we're partnering with several other ministries, uh, starting an organization called 95 Network, which is 95% of the churches in, in America are under 200. Uh, so uh, a lot of churches uh, at this size, you guys are really a healthy church. You have a lot of things going. Uh, but you also are at, at a, just a pivotal point when we have to change some just simple structures, creating teams, getting people involved in serving, and just being culturally relevant to the community that God's placed you in. Is, is This church is really trying to, uh, in a lot of ways, to gain some traction and really momentum uh, and begin to reach a lot of people for Christ. Uh, so that's our heart. <clears throat> Again, Thomas, is he's a guy who's working on his master's his, uh, in uh, leadership. He'll start his second master's in theology. Uh, and so he's, he says I, he just helps Randy. No, he helps. Uh, we, we're moving him around a lot of different positions, grooming him for uh, just a pastor. <clears throat> and so he's uh, now... Part of his time is mostly he's running the office administration at Grace and also grooming him for a lot of the past for the development of small groups. Uh, again, our church is a fairly uh, fairly sizable church, not real large. You know, we were running anywhere between 15 to 2,000 people on a Sunday morning. So we've <clears throat> got a few people, a few pastors. So it's a lot different dynamic. Uh, but again, kind of my story was uh, we were a church under 100 for over 10 years. And I, and I realized, and God began to speak to me, he says, Randy, um, at that time I was working hard, two jobs, at that time going through Bible college, and I was working two jobs, 13 years uh, with wife, family. We were just exhausted. And God said, Randy, I didn't call you to start a church. I called you to take the city, impact the community that you've lived in. And so God started me on a journey of how to help the church grow. And so we've started implementing some of those things here at uh, – at Cornerstone, and so our goal is, again, to develop leaders, train people for ministry, again, help people to realize that God's job for Willie is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, uh, not to do all the ministry. And so I think the biggest lie that Satan has dubbed the church is that the pastor does all the ministry. But really, when we can begin to help the church realize that all people are called to do ministry, and part of the pastoral job is getting to equipping and developing those skill sets. So I just want to challenge you, <clears throat> again, that you get excited about this church. You get excited about when you walk out of here. The only Jesus some people are ever going to know is the Jesus in you. Uh, we, we say everybody, every member is a minister, every member is a missionary. And so uh, I had a lady who had just gotten saved a couple months ago. And uh, we just challenged her and said, well, I just led my sister to the Lord. Can I help be a part of her baptism? I said, knock yourself out, sister. You know, we're going to train and equip people. So we probably average over 500 decisions for Christ every year. Um, so, again, we've created a culture. So we're going to be here uh, with Cornerstone helping you guys to create an evangelism culture, a discipleship culture, how to develop leaders, those kind of concepts. 
Uh, and again, I just want to encourage everybody to believe that God's, when, when you die, there's two questions God's going to ask you. He's going to ask you, first of all, why should I let you into my heaven? And the, and the right answer is because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. He's paid for my sins, not that I've been good or bad or whatever, but simply my sins have been paid for because of Jesus Christ. The second question God's going to ask you, he says, I gave you time, I gave you talent, I gave you destiny. What did you do with what you were given? And if you say, well, I attended church, what did you do with what I gave you? So today's message is uh, really geared towards helping you to realize that you have a destiny and a calling and what stops you from a lot of times walking into that destiny. And so today's message is entitled, uh, The Power of Words. Now, you know, it says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, what you allow in your heart, what you dwell on, what you consumes you, are the things that ultimately come out of your mouth. Because you can say one thing, but eventually what's really in your heart, what's in your thoughts. So I'll start with a couple little statements. Your thoughts affect your emotions or your feelings. Would we not agree? What we think about ends up going from our head to our hearts, and those feelings, those emotions eventually lead to actions. And so our actions are the things that destroy us, but it all started with our thought life. So we're going to have to learn how to control what we think about, what consumes us, what uh, what has captured our minds. I'm going to tell you a story of two boys, two girls. Uh, again, I'd hate to say that this has only happened once, but over the last year, 30 years, I've been a pastor at Grace. Uh, I've seen this story over and over again. Uh, this just last week, and we had one of our elders of 20 years just uh, went to sleep, didn't wake up. And so, again, he has still his youngest daughter's 13 years old, and so we had to do a funeral yesterday. Uh, we were hoping to come and spend some time with some of the leaders and elders here, but we just kind of had to reshuffle that. So, but uh, kind of the two stories, two boys. This is an incident that happened 20 plus years ago. Uh, we had one of the guys who was our worship leader. Uh, and just he and my wife had grown up together. I, I had God begin to speak to me, kind of a word of knowledge that he needed to step down. And he says, his name was Joby, he says, Randy. You're telling me, God's telling you, I need to step down as a worship leader. I said, Joby, I just know God said it's time for you to step down. And he says, why? I said, Joby, God said. And uh, so he prayed about it, wrestled with it, said, okay, I don't understand, but I'm going to do it anyway. So over the next several months, he spent time with his wife, his family, just really just during that season. We had another guy that took over the worship. Uh, And then, then one Sunday... I felt God spoke to me to speak on what heaven was going to be like when we die. So I spoke, and uh, at the end of that service, his wife and family, that morning he came in my office and says, Randy, I couldn't understand why God told you to have me step down, but this has been some of the best months of my life. I am closer now with my wife and family than I've ever been. And so um, then I had a guy walk in. He says, you know, Randy, Joby Adams is one of the best godly men I've ever met. If I was, if I was, when I grow up, you know, I was talking spiritually. When I grow up, I want to be just like him. Now, I preached that message on what heaven was going to be like. 
And then that afternoon, he went home. He was cutting some wood. One of the guys from the worship team went with him, and he had a massive heart attack and died at the age of 38. He left four children behind. And so one of the most difficult times I've ever had as a pastor is I had to go um, tell these children that their father had passed away. The oldest one was 12 years old. Now, I'm going to talk about two boys. They had four children, the oldest two boys. One of them, rather than become mad and angry at what had happened, he embraced God. Our student pastor reached out to him, discipled him, mentored him. Again, our whole church poured out, trying to reach out and help this family. The other son was so mad at God that he allowed bitterness to begin to consume him, control him. Over time, he began to discredit what the Bible said. He says, I don't believe in God. Over time, that led to hanging out with the wrong people, led to wrong actions. Again, started here, ended up in his emotions. His emotions led to actions. He ended up hanging around with the wrong people, ended up starting developing the wrong kind of friends, and led to him starting getting involved in drugs. And so 20 years later, the one brother is now, we're planning a church with him in Colorado Springs, uh, at Fort Carson, Colorado. Young man's walking, fire-breathing giant for Jesus. The other brother, because he didn't, he, he didn't deal his response to crisis, to difficulty, to turmoil, led him to a lifestyle of wrong choices, wrong friends, in and out of drug rehab, in and out, and just recently out of jail. Maybe having to go back for a long-term stint. Uh, and again, we're, as a church, continuing to try and reach out to him. So how many of you know that all of us in life are going to go through some difficulties? How we respond to those difficulties, I don't care who you are, We're all going to go through many difficult things. Thank you very much. I drink tea because my throat, I always have to keep keep something on my throat. So I apologize if you guys don't allow tea or something, but I've asked permission. But the sad story is this young man allowed and did not control his thought process. And then when unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment, again, it always starts with a lie. Again, Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and abundantly. Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. You have a call by God for your destiny. Satan has a call for you to destroy you because he realizes your destiny. In fact, Satan probably has a better understanding of what you would be if you were totally devoted to God than you are. And so he's out. He's on a mission to destroy you. Now, psychologists for, are just now catching up. How many of you know God's known for a long time what he's doing? Amen. All right. <clears throat> but we want to talk about listening or, or, or words. Now, psychologists tell us that uh, people speak uh, anywhere between 150 to 200 words. Now, men typically say less than women. That agree. Some women can just talk a lot. So can men. I've got to be careful here. I'm treading on, on touchy water here. 
But most women, not all women, but most women tend to say more than their husbands. Now, we can listen and hear 500 to 600 words. Now, typically, men, a lot of words go out, but they don't always hear what's being spoken. I'm treading on soft water here. All right? So a woman can be talking, and a man doesn't always hear what's being spoken. Sometimes that's intentional. Sometimes that's unintentional. Okay? Now, what happens is there's what we call self-talk. In other words, when someone is talking to you, you can hear what they're saying, listen, but your mind is having a conversation within yourself, and you're already, when someone's saying something, you're playing two or three different scenarios of what you're going to say back. So it's that self-conversation, that self-talk. And so what happens is 1,300 words a minute. So one of the things we're going to talk to you today is the importance of the power of words. It's not just the words that you're speaking, but it's the power of what you're allowing your mind to be consumed by. Now, first of all, God created you. And when God created you, he created you with a sense of destiny. In Psalms 39... It says, Psalms 139, it says, I praise you, speaking, I praise you, God, <clears throat> because you, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. This is David speaking. He says, your works are wonderful. I know them full well. David again speaking. He says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book. One of them came to me, or all, uh, let me read that again. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now, let's unpack that verse a little bit. First of all, David says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You, you, God, you're the one who created me. How many of you know God doesn't create junk? See, now what Satan's always going to tell you is you're not good enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not smart enough, Right? And, and what he does is he, you look at somebody else and he always, we, we always think that somebody else is pretty. How many of you know there's always going to be somebody prettier? There's always going to be somebody smarter. There's always going to be somebody who can do it better than we can. So just get over it, right? But when God says, I don't make junk, that means I have to begin to believe that he created me with a sense of significance. Some of you need to go home in the mirror because you've been listening from your thoughts that have gone into your hearts leading to actions, and you just never feel that you measure up. You walk under condemnation. You feel like there's a sense of unworthiness. And so one of the things you have to start doing is having a healthy self-image. God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and love your neighbor as you what? Love yourself. Now, we're not talking about a, a self-love that just thinks about self, but it's a self that says, I am a child of the king. I am created in God's image. He doesn't make junk. In fact, God says, I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. I know the day that you're going to die, all the days ordained. So I know you before you were in the womb. I know the day that you're going to die. And I, you're not an accident. Now, your parents may have not planned you. You may have whatever, however you were brought to this planet Earth. Somebody may have been said, if we didn't plan it, that was inconvenient, whatever it is. It could, however, 
But you know what? God says, I know, and I am the one who brought life to you. I breathed my spirit into you, and you're not junk. You're not an accident. And so what happens is a lot of people feel, I was adopted. I, I, my parents said that they didn't plan on me. And there's just this law, this Satan puts this oppression, this lie. And you walk around never feeling that you're special. How many of you know you are God's favorite child? I tell all my children when they were growing up that I says, I love you. You're my favorite child. Dad, well, that's what you told me last week. I said, you're my favorite child too. How many of you know you're all God's favorite child? Amen? See, you were created in God's image. And God doesn't make junk. And you need to start allowing your thought life, those 1,300 words that are being processed, you have to start agreeing with what God says, not what the enemy says. Because he's always going to tell you lies. Again, God created you. He created you for a purpose. God has a plan for your life. God has a destiny for your life. Jeremiah 29:11 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. How many of you know God has a plan for your life? Every one of us. Now, I want to add a little condition here. How many of you believe that you can miss God's plan for your life? We can't. See, even in Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, God has a plan for you, but there is a condition. And the condition is this. Then you'll call upon me and come and pray to me, and I'll listen to you. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You'll never be able to understand your destiny outside of the will of God. You'll have a sense of it, but to really unpack that, it comes as you begin to have a personal relationship with the Lord, commit your life to walking in obedience to his will. And again, as you begin to seek God's will for your life, you're going to realize that there's, God's always going to ask you to be something and do something beyond your ability. You know, I, I look at the people that are, are at Grace Church. Some of the most highly successful people have some type of disability, a learning disability, a speech disability. I have an elder who's, who has a speech impediment. He's a colonel in the Army. The Army said, you'll never make it. But he says, God, I don't understand why I have this speech impediment but he's become one of the most highly decorated, highly successful Delta Forces bad guy in the world. And he loves Jesus with a passion, helps families, disciples, people. Why? Because he did not allow a difficulty to encumber him, but he thanked God that it was a gift given to him, and it's the thing that's made him successful. I don't have a whole lot of people that are highly wealthy at Grace, but my most highly wealthy people all had some type of learning disability in school. And their teachers told them you'll never amount to nothing. But they says, you know what? I'm going to prove you wrong. All of them grew up in Christian homes. All of them began to seek the Lord. They overcame their difficulty. Again, sometimes what Satan loves to do is say, hey, you have a problem. You're, you're not going to measure up. How many of you know that Satan's always going to tell you you're not good enough? You know? I, I know growing up, I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I did grow up in a home that we attended church. And one of the things that I was told regularly by my father was, Randy, if you had any brains, you'd take it out and play with it. So what I began to do, 
in my thought, I allowed it to affect my emotions, and I began to say, I'm never going to do well in school. I'm never going to be successful. I just began to eat that lie, the power of words. Then when God brought me to himself, one of the ladies that led me to the Lord, she says, Randy, God doesn't make junk. Go home, tell yourself that you have a destiny and that God has a special plan for you. You'll begin to seek him, seek him with all your heart. He'll begin to unload that package to you. Did I have some over, overcoming? I'd lived for 16, 18 years under that lie, feeling that I never was loved or accepted. And God had to break all that stuff off of me. So again, learning to take control of your thoughts. Romans 11, chapter Verse 29 says, for the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. Now, what does that mean? First of all, the gifts, the gifts are the word charismatis, okay, in the Greek. The word charis is grace. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit gave gifts to men. So when you're born again, there are gifts given to you by God. There are also gifts when you are received the baptism of the Holy Spirit that, like Acts chapter 2, there are gifts that God gave. These aren't talents. There's a difference between talents and gifts. Gifts are gifts that are given to you by God. Okay? The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. That means when God gives them to you, they're yours. What you do with them is your responsibility. The gifts and call. So in other words, there's a call on your life, and God says you may walk away from God, you may not pursue what God's call is. You may not use the gift God's given you. But when you stand before God, he's going to say, what did you do with the gifts and the calling that I gave you? Were you faithful with the little so that I can bring increase? And again, there's a kingdom principle of being faithful with whatever God asks you to do. God, you call me into ministry. Send me into the army. It's like, what? Well, the army trained me to, to be a leader. The army trained and prepared me, paid for my education. Oh, there's just... You always have to be willing to walk in obedience to the next step. So the gifts and the call are, are irrevocable. That means you may walk away from God, but God's not going to walk away from you. What's the difference between the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost? Okay? You know what the Holy Spirit is? It's what comes into you when you're born again. By the way, it's really the same thing. In the King James Version, it's going to call the Holy Spirit the Holy Ghost. And I would say the Holy Spirit's what comes into you when you're born again. And when you walk away from God... He's going to send the Holy Ghost and haunt you until you come back. <laughs> and what happens is, if you've got a praying mama, a praying dad, a grandma or grandpa, that Holy Ghost is going to haunt you until you come back to Jesus. Amen? So, again, our goal is to help you to learn. We are shaped uh, by what, what we listen to, what we hear. Now, you know, it would really be great. Again, we, we talk about Moses. You know, Moses was called by God to be a deliverer, to set people free. Now, Moses began to sense that in his life, but then in his own energy, when he saw a, a, an Egyptian tormenting or beating an Israelite in his flesh rather than in God's power, he rose up and took charge in his own flesh rather than moving in the power of God, and he killed. And so for 40 years, he had to flee. And then for 40 years, he walked around the same mountain. People say, man, it took 40 years. You know what? Having walked with Jesus for almost 40 years myself, I would say this. I believe the call and destiny of God was constantly on Moses. And God, Moses was constantly hearing 
come up to the mountain, Moses, come up to me. But it wasn't until Moses came back to the mountain, came back to God, because he was mad, he was bitter, he had allowed his emotions to, 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 to get the best of him. So he was sidelined for years. But then when Moses embraced God and embraced the call and the destiny of God at age 80, he was used by God in a powerful way. How many of you know you don't retire from God, you refire from God? Amen? There's no, there's no giving up. You, you keep on serving God till the day you die. So are we affected by our thoughts? Proverbs 4.23 says, Be careful how you think because your life is shaped by your thoughts. What? Our thoughts lead to our emotions, to our feelings. Our feelings lead to actions, and our actions lead to are we walking in God's will, God's destiny, or are we walking away from God's will and God's destiny? Proverbs 23, 27, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Now, again, there are 1,300 thoughts running through your mind. Even as I'm speaking, you could be hearing me, but your mind is thinking 27 different things. So you have to learn, if you're going to be successful in life, is you're going to have to, in 2 Corinthians 10, it says, learn to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. I see people who are emotional basket cases. Why? It's because they're dwelling on stuff that they shouldn't be dwelling on. I I call it stinking thinking. They're thinking, I'm not good. I'm not worthy. No one loves me. God doesn't love me. I sinned. I blew it. I've blown it again. It says the righteous fall down seven times and they get back up. God's called you to live an overcoming life. And that will never happen If you don't learn to gain control of those 1,300 words every minute. Matthew 12, 36 says, But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account in the day of judgment. Now the word idle there in the Greek is the word argos. It means an inactive, idle, unfruitful, unproductive thought. Man's going to give account for every idle word they speak. In other words, you have 1,300 words going through your mind every minute. How many of those words are stinking thinking? They're junk. They're says, you're not good. God can't forgive you. You are not loved. You're not pretty. Don't do that. Stop it. You know, depression is a real thing. I've had some people that were so depressed that they would literally could hardly get out of bed for months. They were on all kinds of medication. I had one gal named Dorian, and she had been so emotionally crippled because of some of the things that had happened in her life. She was literally sometimes, like I said, months on end. She got to the place where she says, Pastor, I realized in my life that nothing was going to change. You can go through counseling. You can put, they can put you on all kinds of drugs. But what happened is, is I didn't come out of depression, depression until I made a decision that I'm going to take control of my thoughts. I'm going to tell myself to get up out of bed. I'm going to begin to control, not feeling sorry for myself. I begin to control my emotions. I begin to control my thoughts. And she says, Now, it took her months, 
having lived years in depression, as she began to gain control of those thoughts, she began to live a successful, healthy, normal life. Now, she's still prone to that, yes, but she realizes when it's coming on, when the enemy's attacking her, she has to put on her guard and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Verse 37 in that says, your words reflect your faith. Then either you'll be justified by them or you'll be condemned by them. In other words, but I say to you that every idle men, every idle word men may speak, they will give an account on the day of judgment. Let me ask you, is it wrong for us to agree with the lie of the enemy in our thought life? You know, Jesus says, hey, Adultery is not just going out and having a physical relationship with another person. Adultery is when you allow in your thoughts that desire to capture you because it goes from your thoughts to your heart. So is it possible that some of us are sinning by allowing Satan to have a rampant control of what we allow take place here by what we allow in? If you're watching things you shouldn't be watching, if you're listening to things you shouldn't be listening, you're reading things that you shouldn't be reading, it's going to go from here, it's going to our heart, and out of the abundance of the heart, our mouth is going to speak. Out of the abundance of our heart, it's going to lead to action. And God says, let's capture it, and don't let it gain control of your life. Proverbs 18.21, the power of... The tongue has the power of life and death. Those who love it will eat its fruit. Some of us need to take control of our thoughts. And we need to put this little thing to use. Devil, you're not going to have dominion of my thoughts anymore. You can either choose blessings and life or negative trash talk, stinking thinking, and choose death. How many of you know stinking thinking always leads to death? You know. God has called us to walk into destiny. Numbers 13, again, Moses, we heard God told Moses, he says, Moses, now, first of all, it's only taken 80 years. I've captured you. Moses says, God, I'm not good enough. I need someone else to speak for me. He says, okay, I'll give you Aaron. How many of you know he never used Aaron? God just used him. How many of you know when God asks you to do something? He's always going to ask you to do something beyond you. That's because it takes faith. But now Moses was called to God to bring the people into the promised land. So they get to the edge of the, of the Jordan River. God says, send out some spies. Twelve of them go out. We all know the story, right? Twelve of them go out. And what they do is rather than believing what God says, if God says, I'm bringing you into the land of milk and honey, this is called the promised land. Right? This is your destiny. Ten of them came back and they looked at their obstacles. They looked at their circumstances. Ten of them came back and says, we saw the Nephilim the sons of Anak, and we were as grasshoppers to them. Now, Joshua and Caleb came back, and they says, we saw giants in the land, and they were but grasshoppers to us because of our God. We can destroy them. We can crush them. Ten people saw their destiny and believed the lie of the enemy versus what God wanted to do. Joshua and Caleb, because... They had seen God. They had walked with God. They believed greater that God was greater in them than they themselves. 
he that is within you. You are new creatures in Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so what happened is Joshua and Caleb walked into their promised land. But you know what? The other ten and their families over the next many years all died. Why? Not pursuing, not encountering, not fulfilling the destiny. Why? Is because they allowed their situation and their circumstances, they allowed their thoughts to determine their destiny, not what God said about them. Am I, am I correct in not what I'm saying so far? As I'm going through this, I want to ask you the question. Are you walking out the destiny that God has for you, or are you allowing your thoughts and your emotions to control you, saying, I'm not good enough and I can't do it? called the grasshopper syndrome. King Saul. King Saul, the children of Israel crying out for a king. God chose Saul. Saul was the tallest, handsome, well-built, intelligent guy. God made him king. Gave him authority. Gave him an anointing. In fact, David called him, I will not raise my hand against God's anointing. But what happened is, King Saul did fairly well. Until one day, a little boy, there was a giant named Goliath, showed up. Young David, who walked with God, says, Who is this giant, the sons of Anak, the sons of the Nephilim, to mock my God and God's people? David went out and killed that giant because he walked with God. He knew he was called to be a giant killer. But he didn't start as a giant killer. He started killing rabbits and foxes and lions and tigers and bears. Amen? But Saul heard about this young man, and then he brought him into his army. David went out, and God's favor was upon him because he walked in what God had called him to be. It said, one time Saul heard the saying, David has, Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And what happened is Saul began to be intimidated. He was king. He already had the position. But because of insecurity, because he allowed his thoughts to affect his heart, what he did is he began to despise David. He began to walk in rebellion towards God. He bit into the lie. He didn't believe what God said. He listened to what the devil said. And ultimately, when God told Saul to kill King Agag of the Amalekites, Rather than destroying that because he had fear of the people, he didn't kill King Agag. King Agag is the one that had, had violated God's people, had done wrong to them, had all kinds of worshipped other God, all these atrocities. And, and look what Psalm, 1 Samuel 15, 24. Saul, Saul gave in to fear. He allowed his thoughts to control him. 1 Samuel 15, 24 says, I have sinned. I violated God's command. I was afraid of the people, so I gave in to them. You know what fear of man is? It means that you don't fear what God, you're more concerned what other people think than what God thinks. See? But when you get a revelation of what God thinks, because you walk with God on a daily basis, you walk out of your relationship, you're not concerned what other people think about you. You know why? It's because people are going to be used by Satan to influence what God has for you. And God says you need to not allow other people's personal opinion of you stop you from being the man or the woman that God's called you to be. Amen? 
We have to learn to gain control of our thoughts. And we need to begin to agree with what God says about us. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to jump on and I'm going to talk to you about five principles that uh, help you to gain control of your thoughts. Number one, first of all, you need to immerse yourself in what the Bible says, who you are, and what God has called you to be. Now, you remember the story of Joshua we just mentioned? Now, when, when Moses died, having not entered the promised land because he allowed those ten spies to come back and, and bring negative reports, God raised up Joshua. Joshua was the young boy when he was a young, when Moses was up at the, at, on the mountain and they were in the tent, the, the, the tent of meeting. Mo, Joshua slid up under the tent and stayed there in the presence of God. So this is what God told Moses, he says, or the, told Joshua. He says, Joshua, all the people of Israel, because of unbelief, they allowed this unbelief to affect their mind. Joshua, I'm sending you in, and I've called you to go possess your promised land. Now, this is what I want you to do. And if you'll do this, you'll be successful. Joshua 1 and 8 and 9. Do not let the book of this law depart out of your mouth, but meditate on it day and night, <coughs> so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. God told Joshua and Caleb, he says, Joshua and Caleb, every morning, every night, I want you to meditate on my word, day and night. Now, the word meditate is really, it's a same <coughs> Oops, it's getting a little hard here. It's the same thing as when a cow eats grass. It has multiple stomachs. It can't digest it all at one time. So it swallows it, chews on it, lets the stomachs in uh, the, the acids in its stomach to <coughs> to be cultivated <coughs> to break it down. Then it spits it back up, chews on it some more, swallows it, chews on it, swallows it. So what Joshua God told Joshua, he said Joshua. I want you to daily spend time in my word, and I want you to meditate on it day and night. I want my thoughts to consume your life on a daily basis. In everything you do, I want you walking in my will, what I say about this situation, what I say about you, day and night. And then he says, now I know there's some giants in the land. I know that there's opposition on every side. And then he says, I don't really care. I'm God. Right? He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Wherever your foot sets, wherever I place you, because you're walking in me and you're allowing my thoughts, my spirits to dominate and control you, whatever you face in life, you'll overcome. I want to ask you a question. Is it possible that some of us, when we look at our spouse, and God's called you to have a great marriage, you've bitten into the lie, and all you see is the wrong of the past, the disappointment, the failures. Rather than thinking on what God wants to think about that person, we're listening uh, like a, 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 a continuous replay of the past. You can't ever go forward if you're constantly looking in the rearview mirror. See, some of us 
are being robbed of our destiny because we're listening to the lie of the enemy and we're rehearsing it in our 1,300 words every minute. And it's robbing us of faith. And our, our thoughts lead to our emotions and our feelings, and our feelings are going to lead to action. And some of us are never going to gain victory in our marriage in the destiny that God has for us until we learn to gain control of our thoughts. Number one, think what God wants you to think. Number two, declare what the Bible says. How many of you know God says you're not junk? Why don't you declare it? How many of you know God says you're my favorite child? You know, in the New Testament, there are 168 things that says you are new creatures in Christ. You're forgiving in Christ. There's these in Christ saints, 168. And what you need to do is you need to declare over your life the 168 things that God says. And if you spend your time thinking what God says about you, you don't have time for stinking thinking. You need to declare, I am a child of the king. I am accepted. I am forgiven. And those need, you need to memorize some scriptures. You need to, you're, you're suffering with discouragement, despair, defeat. Then arm yourselves with some scriptures, what God says. And think about those things. And then your faith will begin to rise and you'll begin to overcome them. Third thing, God says, refuse to listen to the counsel of the world. How many of you know Satan's always going to put people that you don't need to listen to around you? The world says, you shouldn't love your, that person. You shouldn't forgive that person. You should cheat. No one's going to know. How many of you know God knows? See, it's not just you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. If you're hanging around the wrong people, you're listening to the wrong TV shows, you're going to get some advice, and it's not always going to be the good advice. Most of the time, I can almost guarantee it's always the wrong advice. Show me a man's friends. Show me their future. Parents, let me give you a little advice. I don't know of anybody that one day said, hey, I just want to become a drug addict. I want to be strung out. I want to have every broken relationship I want to spend in jail. But if mom and dad would have been more active in some of those children's lives and says, I don't care what everybody else is doing, you're not going to hang around them. I recommend parents have kids in your home, not in other people's homes, even in the church. Right? You show me a person's friends, I'm going to show you their future. How many of you in your own personal life made really poor choices because you hang you hung around the wrong kind of people. <clears throat> Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the seat of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. You know, those are the people that mock authority, mock leadership, make fun of other people. How many of you know God hates that? David would not allow someone to speak evil against King Saul, and he was a bad guy. God rises up when people speak against authority. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law. He meditates what? Day and night. He's allowing his thoughts to be consumed with God's thoughts. Number four, accept counsel and encouragement from God and friends. Again, hang around the right kind of people. Romans fifteen fourteen it says, I am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Now, I encourage you, we have at Grace what we call our community block. That means a discipleship grid. How many of you remember tic-tac-toe? 
You know, it's a little square like here. Now, the young people, they call it hashtag, right? Hashtag. Now, what we try to do is we say in life, you put yourself in the middle of your community block. And on the top three slots there, you need to have what I call three Pauls or three Paulettes or people who, like our Willies, that are pouring into your life that you have a relationship with who love you enough to say, that's not good, don't do that, that's stupid. Right? You need to have Pauls. You can be sometimes in your careers. It's like older women teaching younger. Pauls or Paulettes. Right? So I'd say... Who are your Pauls and Paulettes that are speaking into your life, that are asking you, how are you doing? Okay. Then we have what the two beside you, because you're in the center block, your Barnabases. They're friends that are close friends, but there's a little bit of accountability. Now, accountability is not them always asking, how are you doing? Accountability is, hey, hey, I'm struggling. But you know what? You want friends around you who love you enough to tell you the truth. Don't listen to ungodly counsel, but listen to godly counsel. You're going to go, you know, you can put friends around you who are going to tell you what you want to hear. That's not a friend. A friend says, I love you, but I think you're really making a bad choice on that relationship. Don't do it. And if you have a really good God, if you've placed around yourself the right Pauls or Paulettes, the right Barnabases or Bettys. But see, now, the part of the kingdom of God that you need to embrace is... If you want to be successful in life, you've got to give your life away. You need to have the Timothys or what's a T name for ladies? Tamaras or Tanyas or, right? The Timothys, people that you're pouring into. I was, it's like this. We put, we'll put marriages back together, and I'll say, you know what? I've put so many marriages back together that if I don't change their thought process, their habit process, six months from now, we're going to be back together. I said, so this is the deal. This is how I do all counseling, which I, 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 our church is too big. I can't do it anymore, but I do counsel key leaders. I said, I want you to read your Bible five out of seven days. I want you to always look for one thing every day that's standing out from God. I want you to write it in a journal. And so five out of seven days, when we get back together, you're going to tell me, how'd you do? Five out of seven. I did it four out of seven. I go, don't do that again. Get in the habit. Five out of seven. I don't want you to get legalistic. I don't want you to get rigid, but I want you to develop the habit of learning how to hear from God every day and finding out what God's saying to you so that when he gets, he says, what did God say to you? I says, you're not telling me what God's telling your wife. You tell me what God's telling you. Then he'll share that. She'll share that. And you, what, you know what? Almost every time, the things that she's been trying to tell him for years, God's speaking to him. And what God's been trying to speak to her, God will do the same thing. And when they, then they, they we, we reestablish habits, we reestablish friendship. And then what happens, I said, now, you guys are going to start doing well. And they always do for a season. I says, now, I'm going to tell you, this is our deal. I'm going to help put your life, disciple you, not just counsel you, disciple you. I'm going to put your life back together. And then what I want you to do, if you're going to be successful long term, is you have to find some Timothys other young couples or people that are struggling in marriage, and you've got to go help them. Because if you don't do that, that discipline, that consistency is not going to be effective. And as you give away, there's an anointing that comes upon your life. So God doesn't waste the shame. God doesn't waste the pain. Your areas, what you think are failures, if you'll turn to God, 
begin to find out what God says about your problem, and then you'll begin to help other people in that area, you'll find that part of that destiny, that call that God has for you, because you've learned to gain control of your thoughts, you've put the spiritual discipline, the biblical principles, the concept, you've walked it out, your faith begins to be enlarged, and you see the anointing of God coming upon your life. Amen? Okay, last point. I know you guys are getting bad thing when you only have one service. And I, I have all this stuff. I get to unload on you guys. Man, we have three services. I have actually have to preach four times every week. But you got to be short. Sorry, guys. You, you're getting a fifth thing. You have to decide that you'll not be intimidated, intimidated by neither man nor demon. For the fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be kept safe. Do not take your cues of who you are from other people. You have to only please the audience of one person. His name is King Jesus. Man will always tell you that you're not good enough, you're not worthy. You're not acceptable. You can't do it. You'll measure up to nothing. And if you listen to the devil, or if you listen to what other people say, you'll never be the person that God intended you to be. God's called you to be more than an overcomer. But you'll never do that. And when I say never, until you get a hold, taking control of what God said, in your thoughts. Can I pray for you? Father, I speak over the destiny of the men and women and the young people that are here in this church. Lord, you've placed them in this community to make an impact, to fill the city with the love and the peace and the presence of God. So, Lord, I pray for your favor to begin to fall upon these people. Lord, I pray where they have bitten into lies, where they've accepted what the devil said about them, what other people have said about them. Lord, I pray that you would grant them the gift of repentance in Jesus' name. And that, Father, they know that they'll be held accountable for those thoughts. And that, Lord, they'd begin to come into agreement with what your word says about them. And they'd begin to believe the best, that God has a plan. His plan never disappears. It's always there, even if they've blown it. God, I pray today that the righteous, though they may have fallen down seven times, they'll get back up and they'll fight and they'll fight and they'll fight. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. I'm going to turn this over to Pastor Willie. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com. Contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.